Okay, welcome back to another episode of Keeping Wanderlust. The podcast where we scour Google Maps for random suburban public parks, sit down in the middle of them on a blanket, and read off Google Maps reviews one by one. (laughs) Where are we today? Um, I have no idea. We're in Reseda, California. <laughs> yeah. And I th- actually, you're right. There's a name of this park, which I think it's worth mentioning just because. The Google reviews, the Google Maps reviews are that entertaining. They're so entertaining. It's called Randall D. Simmons Park in Reseda, California. And we're here not just to record. Actually, we're not here to record at all. This is a byproduct of why we're here. But we are getting a hitch put on the back of our camper van so that we can attach a bike rack um, and bring bikes with us, which we're very, very excited about. And this ended up being the closest town that we could get that done in. And Randall D. Simmons Park just happened to be less than a mile away from where our car is being worked on right now. And what makes this park so special? Uh, because it was named after a 27-year veteran of the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, and it was named at Randall D. Simmons, for those of you who don't know, right, very few of you out there who don't know this, um, was the first LAPD SWAT officer to die in the line of duty. That oh, was back wow. in February 7th of 2008. So it's almost the, uh, what, math, 13-year anniversary of his death. And they named, maybe that's why the LAPD helicopter swooped down on us. Wow. Right over there. I'm tying it all together. I know. This is some quick Googling. I'm I have so no impressed. idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> we're learning all of this on the fly. <laughs> Believe it or not, we're not talking about Reseda as the focus of today's episode, but this is a fun little add-on. Well, because we were, right before we hit record, we're like, let's wait till this, this background noise goes away, because this is another one of our outdoor sessions. And we're sitting in, it's just a public park, and it's maybe one city block square and it's nothing more than a bunch of grass with a handful of trees and these random boulders strewn about maybe a little kid's playground and then there's a parking structure that that's adjacent to the park with some sort of weird i don't know alien antenna seti installation i don't know but on top of the parking structure right before we hit record an LAPD helicopter just swooped down and landed on top of the parking structure and on top of the parking lot, sat there for about 30 seconds, and then flew off again. It was the weirdest thing. So random. And the parking structure is only two stories tall, which I think made it even weirder because it felt like the helicopter was yeah. landing like, directly Let's next wait till this us. helicopter noise stops, and then it keeps getting louder and louder and louder, and next thing we know, we see this helicopter almost like bearing down on us. I think they left because they saw me filming them. Yeah. And it's a weird time to be a cop in America. (laughs) It was so weird. I wasn't expecting all of that when I asked you what makes this park special. What I was going to say. Like, what's happening? We just, (laughs) the the cops are like, wait, abort, abort. Why? There's journalists sitting in the middle of the park on a picnic blanket. Um, No, what I thought made this park so special is what we discovered on the way here when I was looking at it on Google Maps. There was a point of interest that came up called Reseda Stones. It said, like, tourist attraction, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I clicked and on And there it. are no tourist attractions <laughs> in Reseda, California. I think the only reason people may have heard of Reseda, California, other than the Randall D. Simmons Park and the LAPD SWAT officer and all that, um, is because, what's his name, Daniel from 
uh, wow, brain fart. Karate Kid oh. is from originally from Reseda. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that. I didn't know that. But so many fun facts in store. In I this feel episode. like he's coming back. I think it's him who's like all of a sudden back in the spotlight right now because he's in another show, Cobra Kai. Yeah, Cobra Kai, which was one of the first commercially produced series by YouTube when YouTube launched YouTube TV uh-huh. or YouTube Premium. One of them. I'm way off on my facts here, but we don't do research on this show. So take everything with a mountain of salt. Um, yeah, it was like the only way you could watch it was on YouTube, and it just recently land, got picked up, I want to say, by HBO, for HBO Max. So if you want to watch the Cobra Kai series, you can... And yeah, it's the original guy who played Danny in uh, Karate Kid, the first Karate Kid in the 80s. He yeah, was and from Reseda. And just the fact kid. that you brought it up, I was just reading about him. People are doing a Where Is He Now and highlighting his success. And it's I feel funny. like he's been dormant for the last 20 years. Yeah, he probably... Well, he was a kid... All right, he did those three movies. I think it was three. Aptly named Karate Kid, Karate Kid 2, and Karate Kid 3. And for anyone who was born in the early 80s and was like in grade school into the early 90s, the Karate Kid was the shit. Mm-hmm. Like we would come out of the movie theater, me and my brother would be kicking each other's ass just so that we could practice all the new moves that we learned by watching that movie, by sitting through 97 minutes of... A 14-year-old kid doing karate. And now here we are in his hometown, so you should feel inspired. I do. Good. I do. Again, lots of fun facts in store for this episode. So many, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through them. Oh, you ha- you're going to read one of the you- Google Maps reviews? I was dying laughing at this. So back to the point of interest called Reseda Stones in the middle of this park. That's the... That's the tourist attraction, is yes. the Reseda Stones. Yes. Which we're looking at them, and there's what, maybe a dozen s- scattered about? There's just randomly placed. scattered throughout this park that clearly are abnormal for a park. I mean, they're not next to each other, they're just randomly dropped throughout the park. And if you do satellite view on Google Maps, you might be able to see them all because very few are hidden underneath trees. And if you connect the dots, it creates a pentagram. <laughs> so we're walking over here. I'm dying to know what that means. I click on it and I start reading the reviews. I'm like, oh, you know, I like points of interest. I like <laughs> seeing new things. And we're in this points. random place. And the reviews are all five stars. So I'm getting like more and more excited as we're walking here. I'm like, wow, I can't wait to see these stones. What are they? I'm just going to read you one of them. Please. Because I couldn't stop laughing. This is probably one of the most amazing and underrated sightseeing places in the greater Los Angeles area. Come and stare at the magnificent, mind-blowing Reseda Stones. According to the legend, in February 1934, a group of UFOs was seen flying from the Topanga area and towards what is now known as Reseda. They brought with them a set of precious stones, which according to carbon-14 tests made by students of the UCLA, of the UCLA. Of the UCLA. I didn't insert that. (laughs) Which, if you were to spell out the acronym, it actually makes sense. Sure. The University... Of California. Los Angeles. Angeles. Okay, so these are as old as 3 billion years and most likely are not from this planet. Then it goes on to say, do you like working out? Use them as jumping boxes. Do you like meditation? Sit on one of them and get closer to Nirvana. Are you feeling alone? Come hug one of these precious loving stones. Your life won't be the same when you visit Reseda Stones. 
we got to send an invoice to the Los Angeles County Parks and Recreations Division <laughs> do you for feel that advertisement that you just rattled off. Do you feel the same now that you're sitting next to one of these alien stones? No, but I do feel compelled to troll any weird, you know, seemingly mundane part of the world that we go to. <laughs> there was like the world's large tallest thermometer Yeah. when we were driving through the desert somewhere. I think it was... Baker. Was it? It was like 134 feet tall because the highest recorded temperature ever recorded in America happened to be in that particular... So somewhere like outside of Nevada or or in Nevada outside of Las Vegas. Can't remember. It's across the street from like a alien jerky place, which I couldn't believe how big the store was for beef jerky. Alien themed beef jerky. <laughs> Should we just ramble? Just rattle off episode. mundane <laughs> facts. I mentioned alien. You go to truths. beef jerky, <laughs> then I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, this is the Keeping Wanderlust podcast. Now, the world's worst word association game. <laughs> All right, what are we actually talking about today? Going on tangents. So, this is going to be our, our first, we're going to try to do a lot of these, but specifically location based themed shows everything in and around the show starting probably now nothing (laughs) like everything before this has led us to this state right now um where we focus the entire discussion around a a specific place that we've gone um and i what are we talking about this week joshua tree We're talking about trees. So (laughs) if you're still awake, we've got you. (laughs) We're talking about Joshua Tree (laughs) National Park, to be more specific, which contains lots of trees. Riveting. (laughs) I can't wait. Um, I do, being that this is our first, we we have no formula for this, and we're hoping that we can devise one through the, this is the guinea pig episode for location-based focused discussions i do think it's worth taking a few seconds before we start talking about all the wonderful trees um to just touch on national parks in general because it's become such a a big part of you know in terms of like the goalposts or or milestones or landmarks that we seek out while we're bouncing around the country is that we're never we're never disappointed Right. Mm-hmm. If it's part of the national park system, whatever the criteria is to get into this elusive club, right, is clearly pretty strict. And while there's lots of cool places, we used to travel all over the globe to go see really, really cool, interesting, beautiful landscapes, whatever. And it turns out that there's tons of these in our own backyard. And you think, oh, Yosemite, oh, Yellowstone. But every single one that we've gone to has been just absolutely awe-inspiring. Like, it never lets us down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way to capture it in photographs. There's, It's just, I think, part of the allure is just how vast and majestic um, just the wilderness can be and how diverse this country is and the landscape is. And you, you just can't, there's no way to, you have to go do it. And I think that's why so many millions of people you know, not just from the States, but all over the world, gravitate towards what we have in this country. And and I think somebody else said it that, I think it was like Ken Burns, he has a whole PBS documentary series on the national parks, where it's like the best 
idea America ever had. And the more parks we go go to, the more I believe that statement to be true. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think Joshua Tree is a really good example of that for me personally. It's I grew up in Los Angeles, and it's only two and a half hours outside of L.A. And I didn't even realize it was a national park. A lot of people I knew went there, um, you know, just growing up because it is relatively close. But for me, it was almost one of those places that was so close that it wasn't as exciting. It's like the Statue of Liberty in New York. Right. Yeah, I'll go one day. Yeah, it's in your backyard, so you think it's so easy to get to. And speaking to what you were just mentioning of, you know, anytime it's called a national park, just assume it's going to be great. I mean, I had seen photos of the trees, but... Joshua Tree is a little bit unique in a sense of there's not necessarily one famous landmark there or specific spot you have to go see once you're in the park. It's not like Crater Lake right? where the attraction is walking around a gigantic lake. Exactly. So I didn't really understand what the allure was. Um, We just ended up going there because it was easy and it was a weekend trip from Los Angeles when we were visiting my parents for the holidays. And of course, upon arriving in the park, you start to realize why it's a national park and why it's so great. And it's it's one of those things you can't really grasp until you're actually there and you just feel and see the vastness and just the crazy landscapes and, um, you know, rock formations that you don't see otherwise. So. so we hit the road together in the van in early August of 2020. And neither we had together, we had never visited a national park together. We seldom did road trips or anything like that. So, again, living in New York City for the last decade hasn't helped that. But um, we've seen a few now, right? You don't have the past. You know how many we've been to? This is our 11th. 11th National Park Mm -hmm. in less than six months. Yeah. That's a pretty good average. Great. Two a month. Yeah. And we are hitting the road within the next week to go on the next leg of our trip, which is no longer a trip. Now it's become like this is life. Um, cause we're just leaving the home base that we've set up in Southern California. And now we're going to start heading towards Florida and then looping around the country. But inside of the next week or two, you have us plotted to hit a bunch of other ones, right? Mm-hmm. In the Southwest. What are we, where are we going? We're this is going. just sort of a preview for anyone who's not into trees. They want to hear about something else. Okay. Well, I, I'm hesitant to say specifically where we're going because our plan is we don't make plans. <laughs> so change. this this all could change. But with the direction that we're headed, we generally could hit national parks in Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas, and western Texas. Um, so a couple of those would be Saguaro in Arizona. Is that how you pronounce it? I, I keep reading and it. It's S-A-G-U-A-R-O, so it looks like saguaro. I'll bite. (laughs) It looks phonetic. Um, And then uh, White Sands National Park in New Mexico, Carlsbad Caverns, uh, same thing in in New Mexico, um, Guadalupe Mountains, and then Big Bend in Texas. So that's five that we're going to add onto the list. So we have 11... 16 how many are there do you know it's like 60 or so it's like 62 ish yeah. and some of them are islands yeah that you can't Samoa drive islands to. is yeah. probably far channel away islands rest. channel Islands. those would be easy though those yeah. are right off um santa barbara Ventura coast even. Yeah. yeah it's very close to la so anyway um we've done we've done a good number of them so far i feel like we've seen a good variety of landscapes. so you're too. a seasoned pro so if someone's gonna do a run where they see five to six national parks inside of a two, three week stretch. 
right? Which there are places you can do that. Like when we touch on Utah, we'll talk about the Mighty Five and all that good stuff. But mm -hmm. um, if three things don't leave home without. I just want to like get so like if people tune out as we start going on our rants, right? Yeah, it depends uh, which park potentially, but every park you need a camelback with water. Okay. Especially, I'll get into Joshua Tree with the heat. You need the water. <laughs> <laughs> There's signs everywhere in the park. Do not leave without water. Um, I like a snack. I mean, if you're hiking, like snacks and good hiking boots. What would you say? All right, you're I, I say think your parks pass. Yeah, well, because I, the parks pass. Um, and if you don't have a parks pass, the only reason you would get a parks pass is if you're going to go to more than two, I think, in a year, two national parks inside of a year. It's an annual pass called America the Beautiful. Um, I think it's like eighty, ninety dollars gets you entrance into any national park, national monument, and a bunch of other stuff too. And it's for um, the vehicle; you don't need it per person. So well, we have one a, between the two of us. That's the whole thing: is if you're going just for the the day or if you're just going for a, to one park you can buy a seven day pass for your vehicle it's thirty dollars um the other thing i would say is download the recreation.gov app on your phone mm. um certain parks have timed entry especially during covid times they they're trying to limit the amount of people that come in also there's lines to get in at the more popular parks and if you're not going to get the 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 annual pass pre-purchase your pass online before you go in so that you can in a lot of places you can cut the line and be like look i'm already covered mm. um i'd also say that national geographic book that you bought that we keep talking about i think that was on our gift giving guide um that one's perfect and we just found a new one today i read an article from it was an excerpt from a book by national geographic called 100 parks 5,000 ideas and it's now on my wish list i'm probably gonna to download that one so if I can't do it on my Kindle Paperwhite because it doesn't have color photography, it's just black and white. Yeah. I mean, hopefully this isn't too much longer that this is relevant, but especially right now, you do need to research every single park because every park during COVID times has different regulations and they're changing so quickly. We've been to parks where you have to have a reservation just to get in and then we've been to parks where... For example, Joshua Tree just now, all the campgrounds were closed inside the park, which was and a they big have a bummer. A ton of campgrounds. They in have the park. nine campgrounds, which That's is I th it, one of the most we've, we've seen, seen so far. Yeah. Um, Yellowstone which is has a lot, but I feel like it's 20 times the size of Joshua Tree. And when we were in Yellowstone, only three of those parks were open, open. again because of COVID. And so. only two, and two of them required advance. Um, reservation, which is impossible at Yellowstone, and you got to book that trip like a year in advance. Yeah. And then there was only one that was first come, first serve, which is a bit more conducive to van lifestyle because we never know where we're going to be nine minutes from now. We might end up in a park in the middle of Reseda. <laughs> um, so, specifically focusing on Joshua Tree, you're my history buff. Did you learn anything that might be interesting? Um, well, to the masses, probably not. <laughs> um, definitely read through a lot of... Uh, some of it's just the... I ended up reading an entire... I think it was the California Desert Conservation Act. I'm definitely butchering that. I don't have it in front of me. Of 1994. And that's when Joshua Tree became a national park, uh, which is Relatively Pretty new. recent, mm -hmm. yeah. In comparison to when you think national park system, you're thinking Yosemite, Rocky Mountain, Yellowstone, and those date all the way back to the early 1900s, mm -hmm. like the Teddy Roosevelt era. And 
um, most national parks, and I, and I don't know if we've touched on this in the past um, or have done much of a deep dive into it, the national park system, uh, to be designated a national park, requires an act of Congress. It needs to be actually voted through the House and, and the Senate in order to be designated as such. And with it affords not just protection to conserve the land so that it never gets developed, right? And the, the idea there is that it preserves this you know, wilderness for future generations to, you know, not just for scientific purposes to, to research the landscape and all this other good stuff, but for people to go hiking and camping in mm-hmm. the wilderness and have access to places where, you know, you could actually see the sky without light pollution, which I think is one of the, the awesome parts about desert. You know, the desert is just, and for somebody to have that, for anyone, or the for society in general, to have that sort of collective aha moment at the turn of the 20th century, um, as automobiles came about and as roads were being paved through the, you know, the western portion of the country, because that's where the first parks started, were in the western portion. They saw that along the east coast, everything was getting demolished and overdeveloped. Right. And this is on the heels of like the Industrial Revolution and you've just got smoke and smog and trains and cars and it's just getting super congested. You had all these people who wanted to preserve this pristine landscape for what it was. And as cars and trains and miners started heading west, they were destroying the landscape. Um, what I found particularly fascinating, and I guess it's more relevant to, to modern days, is that um, Joshua Tree was so before it becomes a national park usually it's designated a national monument and that's something that just about any president can designate you know a parse a big chunk of land as a national monument and it gives it some protection status but then you like it grows up into the you know the granddaddy of conservationist efforts once it becomes part of the national park system it has more funding it has federal protections all this other good stuff but until then it's a national monument which is basically the baby step, you know, the first big leap in terms of baby steps towards becoming a a federally protected land. It's still federally protected, but it just doesn't have access to the funding, and it hasn't been um, approved by Congress, which basically writes it into law that this will never be destroyed by man. Hopefully, Mm -hmm. as long as, like, the republic exists, no one's going to go through and just, you know, burn down the rainforest of the Pacific Northwest. Um, But in the early days, so like when the Yosemites and Rocky Mountain and the Yellowstones were put into place, it was um, largely these outdoorsmen, you know, John Muir, right, was the guy who was lobbying Congress and got people to, to get behind preserving Yosemite and creating Yosemite as a national park. Um, and that was like in the early, I think, 1900s. Same thing, Yellowstone and Rocky Mountain. They were all men who were these like frontiersmen these these outdoors you know these old west rough and tumble like sleep under the stars and you know ride around in the in the wilderness on horseback for months at a time talking to trees or something right like john weir would sit there and like just stare at bushes all day the strange guy but was also able to rally around get people to rally around the cause and lobby the state and lobby the federal government to preserve these lands these are all men doing this and these are outdoors joshua tree was largely conserved when it became a national monument in the early i want to say 1930s 1934 if my math is if my memory is right 36 yep 36 
and it was um, due to the efforts of a woman named Minerva Hoyt, who was this Southern Belle who was born, I think, like during the Civil War in Mississippi, right, into some rich family, like a plantation-owning family in the South in Mississippi. And she ended up, you know, growing up and going to, like, you know, finishing schools. This is this is the the life of a rich Southern Belle growing up in the late 1800s or the, the late 19th century. And she ended up marrying a rich doctor from New York. And that doctor ultimately moved out to California, like the Pasadena area, and then died somewhere around like 1918, right? And she got into like, guard. she was this huge activist, used, I guess, her, her connections to high society in the, in the early 20th century to like create all these filling like when she was basically a philanthropist but it's just so weird i guess the whole thing in my mind having this woman from the south marry a yankee move to the west coast and get into and then when her husband and i think her son dies right around the same time right she's on her own and she's just like into gardening right it's like one of her big passions and living on in pasadena and in the area she got all into just you know, Western desert botany and all that and and lobbied all of her friends and rich friends to preserve the desert. So it's just sort of a big 180 in terms of what you would expect in terms of like early pioneers in terms of preserving American land. Usually it's these these gruffy, bearded, dirty men, right? And this is a woman from high society, mm-hmm. you know, a Southern belle who marries a Yankee right after war, the Civil War moves moves out west in the early 1900s where it's largely undeveloped and she saw that there were so many like with the roads being built in the 1920s and the miners you know just tearing up the land she felt compelled to go out of her way to preserve the land and it was something like 800,000 acres of desert and it wasn't just Joshua Tree it was like Death Valley and the Sonora Desert she's got was able to get a bunch of lands protected if it weren't for her oh and what was it Uh, cactus poachers that was the impetus. She was trying to, she wanted to preserve the land because people were stealing cactus, mm. cacti, in the desert. And that led me onto another rabbit hole where nowadays, so like the, the whole hipster movement is sort of destroying the American Southwest desert. There are certain cacti, cacti for the most part only grow in the Americas, right? So you've got a bunch down in South America, but there are certain cacti that are unique to the American Southwest. Right. Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, California, Nevada, like those areas. But cactus post poaching apparently is like a huge business. It's a big deal internationally in that, like all throughout Asia and Europe, you have these the rising middle class and like China, um, these magazines going out in Korea where like the the best accent to your new micro apartment is this succulent or this cactus. And some of them are very very rare so if you if you're you know trying to make your apartment look nice and in seoul right you'll actually buy whether it's on ebay or amazon this stuff's being openly sold right on the internet where you can buy these cactus that are you know tiny little succulents that you keep in your house some of them are are 30 to 40 to 50 years old before they reach like the maturity level that Mm -hmm. would look good in an apartment and it takes too long to 
you know, to grow them from seed because it takes 30, 40 years for them to reach the point where they look good in a pot sitting on your windowsill or as a centerpiece to your coffee table. So people are going into the, the national parks and the public lands and just digging them out of the ground and stealing them. And it's like a multi-million dollar business is selling succulents. And, and it's not just Europe and Asia and the Chinese. It's like the a whole bunch of Americans that mm-hmm. like like succulents are the new thing for hipsters decorating their apartment and it's leading to cactus poaching on a scale that's never been seen and it just sort of ties back to why she started the push to start this as a national monument or protected lands in the early 20th century now fast forward almost a hundred years to the day right and it's the biggest challenge to the american southwest right now is all the all the illegal you know theft of these rare species that live throughout the desert that that's as much that that's all everything i know that was really impressive exhausting really fascinating my knowledge of the topic well i understand why people want them they're a lot harder to kill than normal flowers in your house or you know that's anything else that we've tried to grow (laughs) we're not having children anytime soon we can't keep an effing cactus alive um and speaking to the plethora of cacti that live in the American Southwest, Joshua tree is actually named for the Joshua trees that are heavily saturated throughout the entire park. And they're really unique, beautiful trees. If you haven't seen one, um, worth just looking it up. They're often compared to the trees you'd imagine in a Dr. Seuss book. I don't want to beat that horse too dead because it's pretty much the comparison that I, I hadn't see heard anywhere. that. Not that I would, but it's pretty accurate. But they do, they they do look very Seussian. Mm-hmm. It feels like someone went out and actually planted these trees in a specific distance apart from one another. It looks and feels so organized. It's yeah. weird. They don't grow on top of each other. It's not like it's called a forest, I think, but it's not what you'd imagine a normal forest to look like. That's lush that you you can get hidden between. These you can clearly walk in between without getting stabbed and poked and prodded with the needles. It's crazy. It's like they all got together and said, look, I need 8 to 12 feet of personal space. Which is probably what happens underground. <laughs> Their underground community. They talk to each other. Like, Every dude, ecosystem, yeah. Dude, this is, my get, space. Off, get off my land. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> um, but the park landscape doesn't just have joshua trees um it has other types of cacti one of the coolest places that we went and i think is one of the most popular walks to do is the chola cactus garden it's beautiful they look vastly different from the joshua trees they're a lot shorter what's it called the chola cactus garden it's a quarter mile round loop um you get to walk through them and just take pictures i mean the whole park is great for photography but not to be confused with the cholo olive garden chola (laughs) (laughs) amen (laughs) get my free breadsticks um so that's definitely a part of the park that's worth visiting um but have some more breadsticks man Lots of Sally. <laughs> Let me know when you're done. <laughs> this could go on all day. <laughs> um, but what else is really, really cool about the park is all these large boulders that are mountainous So many rocks. free breasties, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> you can tell them about the rest of the The Cholo, the Cholo Olive Garden. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> 
I'm just now envisioning like a comic book strip, like a, a four panel strip in my head of a bunch of cholos showing up at an Olive Garden and eating nothing but free breadsticks. So relevant to Joshua Tree. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> got to spice it up. If we're talking about trees, you got to throw in some absurdity. Well, I was moving on to boulders. Boulders, rocks, rocks. trees and rocks. <laughs> There's boids. There's trees. We'll bless them all until we get fishnicket. You're hopeless. <laughs> you tell them about the boulders. Uh, I know nothing about. Right? They're big rocks. Yeah. There they're were awesome, no. Though. There were no dragon eggs, though. No, there's huge rocks that are really fun to climb. There's a lot of people that are actually like harnessed on harnessed, ropes, like doing yeah. real adult rock, like rock climbing. Yeah, and like you see that in a lot of national parks. We saw that in Zion on huge, huge, huge. I mean, the heights that they're climbing to are just unfathomable. But in Joshua Tree, the rock climbing is Six nothing in comparison. Word. Fathomable. Five. Five. Wouldn't, Wouldn't have worked on, on Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Yeah. Um, but this seemed a little bit more accessible. Not that I'm ever going to do harness climbing, or nor do I have a desire to. But if you're going to get into it, this seems like a great park to start because it's less intimidating than some of the other. What, like the you're rock not. Climbing? Yeah, it's not like watching Free Solo where the guy's climbing Half Dome in Yosemite. Very few things are like Free Solo. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but even if you're not harnessed, these massive boulders are scattered throughout the park and there's a lot of different places that you can pull over and park and just walk up them. Honestly, some of them you don't even need to be on all fours to climb. But that was one of the cooler parts of the park is the fact that it did feel like a big playground. Yeah. A lot of the national parks that we've gone to, there's signs everywhere that say stay on the trail. The ground that you're walking on is actually alive. Every footstep is could, you know, set back this lance, you know set back the ecology by dozens of years you know so they stay on the trail to protect blah 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 where these are just big rocks and mm -hmm. you could climb all over them and even i found my fat ass inspired to climb up some of these rocks i saw a little cave mini cave at the top of a stack of boulders and i felt compelled to climb up there and give a, a zen yoga pose or or meditation pose inside my shelter yeah yeah that was really fun there's several areas there was no olive garden up there though <laughs> There's no, there's no plumbing. Speaking of in the no whole free park, breadsticks, man. I thought there were free breadsticks in my shelter. <laughs> I'll stop. I'll, I'll leave. You can just, <laughs> yeah, can just. Hey, me and my seven personalities can keep keep this this group here entertained for hours on end. I'm aware. So sorry, dragon. You were talking about dragon eggs. I was. Okay. I was pretty much done though. Definitely a great park for climbing. That's one of the most popular things to do there. I did find some of the rocks were interesting. It, it felt like just a big ball of sand was, like, compressed together. Because, like, a lot of rocks, when you, like, throw your hands on them, they're smooth, right? Mm -hmm. These were very grainy. Mm -hmm. In fact, it wouldn't be hard to, like, get scratched up. So if you are going to climb the rocks, if you've got those, like, 80s gloves with, you know, leather gloves that you'd use to play handball without the fingers in them, I mm -hmm. think it would help Yeah, climbing those. One of the most popular areas is called Jumbo Rocks. Pretty self-explanatory, but right next to it, there's a big rock called Skull Rock that really did look like a skull, though. I hadn't seen a photo of it before, and I had a feeling there it, it wasn't going to be as noticeable as it was. When you saw it, you were, like, taken Whoa. aback. <laughs> it's a gigantic skull. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, and it's right off the main road, so you don't even have to hike to it. Very accessible to get to. Worth checking out. 
So I think it's worth making the distinction that, you know, while they do look like rocks, they aren't rocks, right? In Utah, they have dragon eggs, right? <laughs> in Well, I think in the southwestern portion of Utah, a lot of dragon eggs, the closer you get to Moab, they're actually petrified dragons. When dragons die, right, they get preserved into these rock formations. That's how we have all of our mountains in this country, mm-hmm. which everyone knows. In right case on. you didn't know, the history lesson um, is still continuing. But in you know the southern the deserts of southern california and i'm assuming as we get closer to new mexico the mountains and the boulders aren't made from dragons because dragons didn't make it down that far southwest they got to utah and said this is my resting place Mm -hmm. right um and the reason they didn't is because there were gigantic aliens roaming the earth right this is around the same time as the dragons like the era of dragons this is before dinosaurs because everyone knows dinosaurs evolved from dragons right and before the dinosaurs, there were gigantic aliens, right? In the time of the dinosaurs, the aliens were very small, right? They, they grew up, evolved, and they didn't need as much mass, and they found that it was inefficient from a biological standpoint to have that much mass because it required too many natural resources to keep them going. But in the time of the dragons, when giant aliens roamed the Earth, when they died, they went to the deserts of Southern California, and that's why you see places like Skull Rock. That was some dude's head. That may have been that Bob was an the alien. alien. That was an alien. That was an alien's face. That's what they used to look like. A well, jumbo that's face. What, well, they were big aliens back then. But you know, that's I don't write these. I this is just I'm I'm not the historian <laughs> here. You are the historian here. <laughs> no. <laughs> I learned all of my important history from you. <laughs> <laughs> It's inspiring walking through these parks. It was inspiring. So what was your favorite part? How windy it was. That was <laughs> great. That was so much fun. We, we went in December, very end of December. We went right after Christmas. And the best time to go is between September and May. It's actually not advised to go in the summer because it does get so hot there. It's typically over 100 degrees in the summer. No. There really are signs everywhere that say do not leave the parking lot without water. It is so dangerous, especially yeah. if it's hot. You can bring eggs into the park, crack them on the ground, and they'll cook instantly. Yeah. So in contrast, we went in the winter in December when it was quite chilly. It wasn't freezing. It was We cracked around... some eggs. They're still sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> it was around 50 as the high and then in the 30s sometimes in the 20s at night and the worst part was the wind it was there were days that it was manageable but then there were days where I mean you have to take your hat off it's gonna blow away um it was so 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 windy specifically at the lookout point it's called uh keys view I think and it's a lookout point that looks over the Coachella Valley it's definitely worth a drive it's like an extra five miles off the main road to get to it and when we walked up there I went with you were working that day so I went with some of our friends and every single person that walked up there I watched them lose their hats one after another it was so crazy it was the windiest I mean I almost blew over 
And because my I was wearing a winter coat and my surface area was so wide that I was picking <laughs> up so much weight. It was um, a lot of drag. <laughs> so I was like in squatting position the whole time so I could study myself. But it was it was insane. And I mean, that was at the top of a mountain. So naturally, that's that was the windiest point I experienced while we were there. But even on the flat land trying to walk around you know the rock area on some of the nature trails it was almost unbearable so we didn't get to do as much as we otherwise would have just because it was not only when you know the wind makes it like 20 degrees colder at least so there were definitely some points that were not fun and we're not talking like five ten mile an hour winds which i think are just constant throughout the desert at that time of year we're talking like 20 30 mile an hour gusts yeah and they're just coming from every angle i do feel like there were because we there was one day where we kind of just spent the whole day in the car just cruising around and i felt like there were certain spots that were really tame like um and others that were real windy in between and then so because there's and we're constantly i felt like there i don't I couldn't remember for the life of me. And again, I've never looked at a map of the park. This is all, again, all the research I do. Um, I'm more into the ancient history of these parks, the aliens, the giant aliens, and the, the, important the dragons, stuff. the important stuff. Um, but at, there were certain parts of the park that were real tame um, and like almost 10, 15 degrees warmer. And then like an hour drive, all of a sudden you're like at 5,000 feet elevation. Yeah. So I think the park, I felt like we were. In one direction, it felt like we were constantly on an incline driving up. It's not as pronounced as like some of the stuff we've done in in the high mountains, where you know you're driving at a thirty mile thirty percent incline the entire way because you know your transmission's about to explode. Well, the park has three entrances. There's two main roads: one that goes east west at the north part of the park, and then one that goes all the way through the park that goes north south. The northern part of the park is where I'd recommend staying and it is a much higher elevation than the southern part. The southern part there's not as many hikes or as many Yeah, when you say uh, staying, you're not points. saying staying over, you're saying like hanging out in the park. Where I would camp. I would okay. oh, if you're going to stay overnight unless you're doing just a day trip. Um, there's just more to do on the north part of it, but it is a much higher elevation and it's noticeably colder. Once we got to Cottonwood Springs, which is the southernmost entrance, it was much warmer. Um, less windy. Definitely less windy. It's the most hiking we did while we were there, and it was like maybe a mile and a half round trip. Yeah, we. You, it was more because of the weather, you know, going in the middle of the winter, being cooler and windy. It was mostly nature trails. We didn't get out right. on any of the bigger more established trails that yeah. were, you know, multiple miles. And there are a lot of multi-mile hikes that are awesome there. We read a lot about them. Definitely would love to go back and get some more miles under our belt. But for what we were doing, it was a much more let's get out, walk around, and get back into the warmth. <laughs> and it is a big park, so in, I feel like it's more of a – I guess it's accessible – for families in this regard and then it's a big driving park mm -hmm. right you drive from one point to the next and i think there's at least two or three things that are worth checking out there was that first nature trail that we did where you could climb on all the rocks and it was easy enough for my fat ass to do it and we were traveling um we were there with a couple of friends who have a four-year-old daughter and she was just having a blast Right, all these little tunnels that are created between the boulders and whatnot. Yeah, it's called Hidden Valley Trail. I would definitely recommend it. It's one mile nature trail. It's a loop, so it's you easy. had something different to look at the entire time, and it was just really pretty. And then the Skull Rock, right? Go see the 
the skeleton of an ancient giant alien. That should be on everyone's bucket list. And that's right next to the Jumbo Rocks area. So you check out the alien and then do some climbing. That's probably the best place to climb. And then and the I think there's where did we go see areas. the sunset? That sunset was nuts. I think we just got lucky because there was actually clouds that day. Um, do you? Yeah, it was right outside of the Ryan Mountain Trailhead. It was just a, we just pulled over to parking lot. I mean, everything I read said you must see sunsets in the park because the sunsets over the mountains in the distance, and then you have the changing Joshua colors over the, the Joshua trees. And it's also one of those parks. You mentioned this earlier, but it has amazing stargazing because it's so dark out in the night. So watching the sunset and then staying maybe for a couple hours to see the stars come out. What was your? I mean, I don't know if you're wrapping up or if, if we've reached. Like we've obviously reached the end of my <laughs> knowledge base. Knowledge base. Um, well, I didn't know this before going, but there is f- at least five or six natural oases in the park, which was so random to me, and I wasn't expecting. And I, I also didn't expect it to be as exciting as it was once we saw it. But it was really cool. It was really cool. There's multiple places, like I said, five to six. Um, so if you where have more than one oasis, is it oases? Oases yes, instead of is. Um, and there's just like a, a big bunch of palm trees dropped in the middle of the desert, <laughs> which is what it looks like. And we only saw one of them, but um, really cool, right yeah. at Cottonwood Springs, which is the southernmost entrance point. Um, if you if you head east from the visitor center, like not even half a mile, you hit a parking area and you're pretty much right at the beginning of a nature loop that walks around one of them. And then from that point, you could also do a seven mile round trip hike to get to Lost Palms, which I I would love to go back and do that. We That's what I was referencing earlier is the longest hike we did because we went in a little ways, but we weren't doing a seven mile hike. We weren't going to do the whole three and a half to get there. Not that day. Yeah, but I would totally have done it had it been warmer and a little less windy. Um, that was just a fun, like, hidden gem in the park that I had no idea I would even care to see until I saw it and I realized how cool it was. What I like, while we were at that oase, oasis, mm-hmm. um, amongst the many oases that exist in the park, um, I thought it was really cool that there were these big stones that had been born in, like, someone bored out a hole, the indigenous people that lived on the land prior to, you know, America wiping out an entire... Um, race of people when they came through they used to would they like instead of using a pestle and mortar to grind up grain and create like flour they actually like used stones and sticks to to drill a hole into the side of a boulder and those things still exist today and i'm not doing a, doing it justice audibly but it was just a really cool thing to see yeah you know this is how people made flour 5,000 years ago mm-hmm. is they just sat there and spun a stone on top of another stone until for hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of hours until a, a hole was created in the side of a stone. This is before drills. <laughs> Good for them. That was really neat. What a shit job that must be. <laughs> um, so yeah, as far as like itineraries, there is a lot to do. I don't think there's one thing you necessarily have to see. I think it's a park you could do in a day if you wanted to. I'd recommend doing it in two to three days at least because there there's many, many hikes to do. There's several lookout points. And it's somewhere that, 
like we said, it's just fun to climb around the rocks. So give yourself some leisurely hours to just hang out. It's not like you said, it's not like a lot of other parks where you have to stay on the trail. You can kind of just hang out and play around. And that's the best part about it. Like I said, there's three entrances. So from the northern side, there's the north entrance and the west entrance, which are both on the northern part of the park. You can drive from the west entrance to the north or vice versa. And that is it's the park boulevard loop um that has most of the key lookout points off of it so if you're going to do one thing i would drive that route and see some of the key highlights and then if you do have extra time and are seeing more than a day i would drive down to the cottonwood springs south entrance and honestly just the drive down there there wasn't that much to pull over and see other than the chola cactus garden which was awesome there were little turnout pullouts with plaques up that gave some sort of indication as to what it took for the the landscape to get to the point where it is today i guess like five seven thousand years ago there was actually like rivers running through Mm -hmm. that portion of the country which is pretty fascinating if you're you're into that stuff if you're doing that drive you're driving from north to south on a decline the whole way so it's a completely different view going down versus up and it was just a really peaceful drive i think you and i just had such a fun time looking at the landscape and driving through the desert Kind of just taking it all in. I think that was one of the most enjoyable. Yeah. Bo- enjoyable no cell parts. signal in the park, mm-hmm. and I think that was the one day where we preemptively like downloaded a couple of podcasts or something before going through. I don't even remember what we were listening to, um, but it was just yeah, awesome, cool, chill ride. And then we end at sunset wherever we said we ended to watch that and made hot chocolate and yeah. took photos. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good day. Um. And then the park itself is a marrying of two different deserts, the Mojave and the Colorado deserts. The eastern part of it is the Colorado desert. And then the majority of where you'll be driving through the park will be the Mojave desert. Um, What about where we stayed? So with the 9,000 campgrounds that are actually in the park all being closed, we had to get somewhat creative. Um... Also, we came back to L.A. during, what, second, third lockdown, whatever we were up to. So a lot of things are are closed. Um, And I think the town, like, what is it, 29 Palms and Joshua Tree are the two towns that that we were closest to most of the time. We were there for, like, five nights. Yeah, Yeah, we showed up, like, a day or two after Christmas. And we're only going to stay a couple of days, but we ended up tacking on, like, three more days just because we were having so much fun. Also, the weather that when we got there, the first couple of nights was shit. Yeah. And then it got real nice towards the end of the week, so we figured we'd stick around for it. Um, the The towns are kind of sleepy desert towns, nothing special. They're kind of cute western towns. Joshua Tree has a lot of little – it definitely encompasses the western theme when you're driving down the main drag. And yeah, with the different saloons and the hippie thrift stores. and It definitely has a little bit of character, but yeah, you're, you're instantly – you know, driving down whatever that main drag is, you're instantly hit with, oh, here's a Walmart next to a uh, Home Depot and all these big box department stores. And it's just like, eh, you know, nothing special about it. And it's not like there's any, not that we would stay at a hotel or anything, but it was mostly like these single floor motels, desert motels that looked kind of seedy. Well, the thing to do there if you're not camping is stay at an Airbnb. There's a lot of rental properties out there that are pretty unique. Um, obviously, we had a different experience being in the van, but everything I researched said, you know, how funky 
some of the places are. The They're like floor to ceiling windows, and you got Joshua trees at the back. So I'd, I would go that route. But why didn't we do that one night? We could, especially the night it was raining. <laughs> <laughs> so those are some fun stories, I guess. So we stayed on BLM land, and that in and of itself is its own story. So we got there on on what like a Monday a or Sunday two night. Sunday night, and. Like the night after we got, and we met up with two of our friends who have the four-year-old daughter who have almost, you know, a near identical van to us. Um, So we stayed on what we thought was BLM land, Bureau of Land Management. Um, It's public land in pretty much anywhere across the country. If you can find BLM land, it's, it's free to stay there. There's no barely any amenity unless you're in utah we found some blm like established campsites Mm -hmm. where you actually paid five ten bucks a night something like that but this is just open desert where you can just pull up your car pull up stakes and and call it home for a night or two there's fire pits around like fire rings made out of the stones and whatnot and there's blm land surrounding joshua tree north south all around the desert there's a lot of land that you can camp on legally by just pulling up your car versus most of california you have to be in a designated campsite to to sleep in your car or camp yeah and something i think worth noting about the west and and the reason we stayed in so many campgrounds like actual established campgrounds on the first leg of our trip is because of the fire restrictions especially during late fall Right. Pretty much the entire western side of the country is a tinderbox waiting to explode. So you can't just like go onto public lands and set up, you know, create a campfire, which is, you know, in terms of the top three ris- reasons why I get out of bed in the morning. Right. Amongst them is I get to hang out by a campfire at some point. You know, if I could do that three to four nights a week, then I for the rest of my life, I'll die a happy man and, and look back on a fulfilled life. Um so we, we get there the first night. I feel like it was, was it super windy? All my days blur together because it was the week leading up to But it was super windy. Having a campfire was a little rough. There were embers flying everywhere. Um, but the second night it rained. And we're in the middle of the desert, of course. It's like I think it gets a quarter inch of rain a year out there. Mm-hmm. And we got all all <laughs> that rain, a year's worth of rain in the desert that that second night. And that happened to be the night our buddy Alex flew into town from new york because he bought a car on ebay or something mm-hmm. that he saw something he liked it was like a 2002 fancy bmw something like that and he's like oh i had to have it so on a whim he wins a car on an auction and then like then and books his flight the same night to fly out to la in turn to pick up a car we're like holy shit dude haven't seen you in forever come meet up with us we're in joshua trees like all right i'm driving back to new york in my car that i just bought online in an auction and it's on happens to be on the way so we're trying to tell him where where we are and we just drop a pin on google maps pretty much in the middle of the dirt in the middle of the dirt (laughs) and And we just assume he's gonna find us at night with no light (laughs) yeah and that's so on these but there's no not even never mind having a bathroom there's no street lights right so invariably he shows up and within about five minutes gets himself stuck in some soft sand trying to get out to where we are. And he didn't get that far. I think it was like all of 19 feet off of the paved road, right, onto the dirt roads that he would need to take to get to us, which we're assholes. We probably should have gone out to the paved road to find him, to guide him in, because without the lights, there's no way to see where the soft dirt is and where the, you know, the more pet had a down dirt is that you could drive on it was incredibly short-sighted we feel terrible about this <laughs> for the record we feel so bad 
Yeah, so he gets he gets stuck in soft sand in this in his new car, and me and the other guy that was staying that were hanging out with us, we walked out to find him in the middle of this. You know, it's got to be like at least a hundred, two hundred acres of just dirt out off the highway, and we try to dig him out. Try using those little you know portable treads that we keep in the in the van that we've never used before. Ended up breaking them in the process and left the car there that night. We're like, sorry, dude, we'll deal with this in the morning. We'll call AAA. And we go back to where our vans are, and we just happen to have an extra tent, right? And so we gave that to him so that he can hold out for the night or just, like, post up for the night. And then in the morning, we'd get his, we'd find a way to get his car out. And it just so happened to rain that night. And the brilliant engineers that we are <laughs> set up the tent. The three of us is you, me, and him. You, me, and Alex set up the tent, and you know we have we have the the tarp to put underneath the tent, right? He's got a brand new sleeping bag, which I think he picked up, you know, in Walmart on the way there. And we do everything right. We stake the thing down so it doesn't blow away. It's windy. We have the van set up to be a bit of a wind block. It's close enough to the fire to like give him a little bit of warmth. Um, without burning the tent down and what do we do we take the rain fly and put it over the tent upside down and the rain flies on these little tents are designed to have little holes in them to let airflow in except if you put them on upside down right the way they're designed all it's doing is creating a funnel to to have rain go into the tent as opposed to if you have it the right way up it'll not only block the rain and drip it out of the tent It'll also allow for airflow. So all night he's being subjected to this like Chinese water torture where there's <laughs> just like one drop falling on his head over and over and over again. His like pants in his sleeping bag, like half of it gets soaked. So he's got to curl himself up into a ball, right, to stay warm. What a fucking trooper. Oh, my God. I felt so bad for him. And we texted him. So I texted him. I said, come sleep in the van. I mean, we, you know, we barely have room for the two of us in our bed. But I was like, there's room on the floor. At least it's dry and it's warm in here. Yeah, and our friends that we were there with that have a similar van have a pop top. Yeah. You know, would have been similar to a tent experience. But at least he would have had a hard top roof over him. But whatever. He's a trooper. And felt compelled to stay out there all night and got himself soaked. (laughs) (laughs) It was horrible. So on top of that, I figured, all right, well, the one good that can come out of this is we can get him free towing because we have a AAA membership. And we do not need this to go more than seven miles. We only need it to go a couple feet. (laughs) So... I call AAA the night before. I'm being really proactive. I try to schedule the pickup or the tow for the next morning um, because obviously they weren't going to come out in the middle of the night. And I call the – I speak to somebody. I tell them where we are, and he says, because you're remote being in Joshua Tree, you're not in L.A. or in a major city, um, you can't schedule the pickup in advance because they outsource their towing to different local companies and they just weren't able to schedule it. He said, call back in the morning and we'll get somebody out there. So I set my alarm early. I figure we're going to be waiting a little while. I want, you know, I don't want anyone to have to wait too long for the tow truck to show up. So I get up as early as, you know, the sun, try to get somebody out there call AAA and the person that I speak with says, um, if you're not on a paved road, we will not send a tow truck there. It's too much of a risk for us to send a tow truck off paved Because the tow roads. truck will get stuck. Well, the, the contractor that we eventually got on the phone knew 
the area that we were talking to. What I thought was funny was when you were talking to the guy at AAA, who's basically just dispatch. All he does is take in the calls and then, you know, reach out to whoever they have a partnership with in whatever local jurisdiction and have them take care of it. They have no idea. They're probably sitting in like Duluth, Minnesota or something answering phone calls. They have no idea where you are. Right. And they're just all they are is a middleman. But when you were I find it when you get frustrated on on the phone with customer service, you have this thing where you just start repeating yourself louder and just saying it slower and louder. <laughs> um, and you, the amount of times you said that we are on BLM land and you were trying to get like clarification, like trying to clarify, because he kept saying, you know, repeating the same thing over and over again, too. If you're 20 feet you know, off of a paved road, we, you know, AAA, your AAA coverage doesn't isn't valid. All right. And you're going to end up paying for it. And you kept saying you're on BLM land. And clearly this guy had never heard the term BLM land before. In relation to Bureau of Land Management. Right. So he's pro I'm just envisioning what he's thinking because this may not be relevant 10 years from now if someone's listening to this. But anyone who's listening to this like shortly after 2020 knows that BLM is also an acronym that was used for the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And social uprising throughout all of all of 2020. <laughs> And so he's sitting there thinking, what does Black Lives Matter <laughs> have to do with towing your car? And he was just getting more and more confused. And then you would just get louder and enunciate the acronym slower. And I'm like, and I'm just watching this horrible Seinfeld episode unfold <laughs> before me. And he's like, oh, I got to be careful about who I send out there. There might be riots in the streets or something. I just assumed anybody social justice and equality out in the desert (laughs) and they need a tow truck. I just assumed anybody working at AAA would understand the differences in land designations throughout the country. But (laughs) that was probably short sighted as well. Anyway, so needless to say, AAA did not pull through. We had to hire a very expensive local tow truck to tow his truck for five minutes. Yeah, no, it took less than. 30 seconds to just attach a, a strap to the back of the tow truck and to the, to the front of his car and just pulled him right out of the sand yeah, and bam, 250 bucks. Yep. So I don't think Alex is ever going to hang out with us again. Not in the desert. That's for damn sure. They meet us on the road. He's going to be like, is it a paved road? <laughs> we learned our lesson as far as navigations. Well, usually it's us learning things the hard way, and we are the only ones who are impacted by it. This time we took a lot of other people down with us. <laughs> it's not fair. Karmically, that's not that's that's not what we're shooting for. Um, so then shortly after we get his car out of the deep sand, we are ready. This is now the next day. It's like a Tuesday. We're ready to <laughs> head into the park and do some exploring. And we're with our friends. You, unfortunately, were going to stay in the van and work. Um, while we went into the park and we all start making our way so we drive right past the spot where Alex was stuck and all of a sudden this guy comes over on a dune buggy and stops near us and he starts chatting with us and he goes hey were you guys the the ones that were stuck here last night I saw you guys you know get towed out he goes are you guys the ones that are camping over there is that your van and he was pointing to our van that you were sitting inside and you know, of course, we said, yes, we've been here the last two nights. He goes, yeah, I know. That's my private property. I've let you stay here the last two nights, but it's illegal, and I'm about to call the cops if you don't move right away. Nice guy. Nice guy. And 
probably the best part of the story, and this might be a bit of an overshare, is that you're in the car with Alex driving towards the park. You're still on this guy's private property. He comes over to, to let you know. And then I think you were trying to text me at the time. And what I was doing was in the process of unbuckling my pants so that I can take a dump in the little porta potty, which I hate in the van because we're on, you know, public land that doesn't have any amenities, no pit toilets, the nearest bathroom's like a 20 mile drive into town. And as I'm about to drop my pants around my knees, I hear this quad roll up, right? And some guy be like, hello, you in there? Because the, the door was open. The side door of the van was open. Like have a nice breeze go through and, you know, clear air the, the, place air out. the place out a little bit. And so I got to pull my pants back up and pop my head out and be like, hi there. And he gives me like a 10 minute sob story about how this is private land and he's got signs posted everywhere. And I don't want to put up a fence, but if I have to put up a fence, I'm like, dude, I don't give a fuck about your fence. I'm like, we had no idea. Right. I think we did go looking for the signs and they, I think they're little paper like they're almost like big post-it notes attached to a, a stick that's all of what six inches off the ground so if you're actually in a vehicle you're not you're never gonna see them mm-hmm. so you have no idea where you know public land and private land where the line and is. he owns a huge piece of property oh, we yeah. saw we saw where he lives he lives in a little trailer far from where we were camping and we understood because he had about 20 signs around his own property we understood that was his land we had no idea everything in front of that was his land too so it was very not obvious at all that we were not on blm land and we were right next to blm land yeah there were easily 40 or 50 at the beginning of the week maybe 40 trailers trucks rvs you know scattered all over again this is hundreds of acres of land yeah for as far as the eye can see right up to like the edge of the mountains there's rvs just scattered strewn about granted we were the only ones in our patch and i just figured that because we were closer to the road it was less desirable which is why i figured we'd go there we Mm -hmm. didn't give it much thought um but yeah the guy was not happy with us luckily from what i can tell he was not armed um (laughs) he was pretty pissed but you know i basically you know tried to be super humble and be like look dude if this were my land and somebody were on it, I'd be way more upset than you are, right? And gave him the whole sort of. You're too nice. Yeah. Well, I turned on, turned, you know, went into sales mode and been like, well, also, I mean, in my mind, I've got some sort of stereotype about crazy desert people from like Breaking Bad episodes mm-hmm. where I'm sleeping on someone's land and they've got trailers with meth labs in them. And the last thing they want is a bunch of hipsters camping next to their meth lab. It's a liability for them. Anyway, so had to squeeze (laughs) i think we can imagine what happened you had to hold it i had to hold it and pack up camp and everyone came back our other friends of the van came back and we broke down camp and moved it 50 yards the other direction so that it wasn't it looked like it wasn't we still couldn't tell at that point right where private property started and we just went closer to where other people were that he hadn't yelled at so anyway it was such a lesson so I guess the tip to or the the, the takeaway there is if you're going to be boondocking and we haven't figured this out yet, but like don't just rely entirely on Google Maps. Sometimes Google Maps is OK at, you know, showing you where the line is, where a national park starts, but it's not going to tell you where public and private property ends. 
and I do believe you can get BLM maps, right, mm-hmm. to show specifically where the lines are, and that's probably something that we should invest a little. If we're going to invest time in anything, is figure out how to access those maps so that we're not. I don't think the next the next time we decide to use someone's backyard as our own personal, you know, campsite is going to be as forgiving as this guy was. Yeah, we definitely learned that one the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the place that we moved to, it's always, I mean, it's usually a little bit safer if you see other people camping there as well. Um, so we Depends moved to. Depends on the people. I love how you keep saying that. Uh, one day we're going to end up parking like in the middle of like a, an established militia, militia encampment. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be like, Chris, you were right. Out in the wilderness without another human in sight for five miles is the way to go. Okay, you well. You keep saying if there's other vans, if there's other RVs. I'm telling you, humans are more, are way more scary than nature. Rattlesnakes. Well, in this instance, it ended up being true that next to other vehicles was the way forward, <laughs> and we ended up getting an even better spot that had an actual fire ring set up with rocks. It's very pretty. <laughs> they did a good job, the people before us. You and, your and, rock formation. and you and I, you know, we. That you know, our first night there was our last night with our friends, and when they left, you and I decided the weather turned around. It was a little bit sunnier, less windy, and we decided to stay a couple more nights. And we ended up staying through New Year's, and it was really cool because there were, I mean, there were at least hundreds of other RVs scattered in this massive area of land, and off in the distance, people were shooting off fireworks at midnight on uh, New Year's cool. Eve. It was really, really a cool experience. And there was also. I, I, one section where it looked like there were maybe 20 or 30 RVs clustered together. They strung lights out and they definitely had a DJ out there blasting music. And there was this like all night rave going on in the middle of the desert with like maybe 50 people out there. Right. Off in the distance, which, you know, considering the pandemic, probably not the the time or the place, but. At least they the were time. all outside. At least they were outside. You in know. the middle of nowhere. May have been the, the place to do it. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. But it was interesting. We Usually New Year's Eve, I feel like, is pretty anticlimactic in, in that, you know, we'll go way out, especially in New York, we'd go out of our way to do something, right? And it just ends up being, uh, you know, getting dressed up, going out, fighting the subways. And the year we went to Times Square and it was raining and all that. I know you love that, and that's like one of your greatest memories of New York. But it's always like a to-do, and it's this huge build-up to what, right? You just get, you know, drunk all night, eat too much, drink too much. You gotta kiss when the ball drops. And hey, I know. I'm you, sorry. That's such a to-do for you. It's just a huge build-up to something that's like, all right, that was that was the payoff. A great you know, kiss. A great kiss. Come on. Yes, dear. Um, <laughs> whereas this, I thought, was interesting and, and different. Like spending the night. It was just the two of us, but mm-hmm. you know, we uh, we got our little noisemakers and our our silly crowns that said 2021, and had our campfire going. And you I, made and we, an awesome meal. Yeah, we had a great dinner and started drinking early and. And we watched the ball drop. We were able to stream it from our computer. Our, our yeah, we had great signal. Yeah, we had great signal. That was really cool. Yeah, we hooked up the projector, our portable projector, to the laptop, and we were, like, projecting the ball dropping, like, on the sand. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. It was really neat. It was a great, unique experience. It was a good New Year's. So, to summarize Joshua Tree, I would say awesome park you need to spend you should spend at least a couple of days there if possible if not you can see some of the highlights in one day 
Um, I do think it's worth mentioning that it's accessible from so many different places that if you wanted to make a day trip out of it, you could shoot out from anywhere, just about anywhere in L.A., get there in under two hours, spend a full day there, watch a sunset, and then cruise back at night. It's between two and a half to three and a half hours from Los Angeles, San Diego, Las Vegas, and Phoenix. So it is so centrally located for major cities. And then it's also right next to... um, um, I want to say Palm, Palm Springs. Palm Springs, yeah. yeah. It's right next to Palm Springs. Um, and it's right next to the Coachella Valley. So for all you hippies going to the festivals, <laughs> when those are a when thing again, um, this is an easy one to tack on to that trip as well. So it's incredibly accessible. Yeah, go, out, go out to Joshua Tree to detox for a couple of days yeah. after after Coachella. Exactly. Yeah. What uh, Did you want to do some of your rapid fire stuff? Yeah. At the end? What was your, your biggest highlight from the trip? Um, Almost getting accosted by the <laughs> landowner while I was about to take a shit. <laughs> I think that that fits more on biggest lesson you learned the hard way. No, I didn't learn any lessons there. <laughs> didn't learn anything. Um, my highlight was probably the Oasis or the Chola Garden. I liked both. More brace. Oh my God! Why did I say that? <laughs> it was the Oasis. Where's my damn brace? Forget, forget about the garden. <laughs> Um, we need some more salad. And then food. is there anything you wish you knew beforehand? Yeah, that I was on private property before I pulled my pants down. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, a recommendation, I would say, definitely stay in the park if you're camping. If you, have, if, you if you have an RV, if you have a camper, if you have a tent, and you can, there's nine different parks. More than half of them are reservation only, but there's a couple small ones that are first come, first serve. So if you're organized and you get there early, you could at least get a first come, first serve. I think there's serve. only I, – so I looked into it. So we had to – when we filled up water, there are only two spots in the park where they actually had water fill-ups. And one of them was at a campground that's technically, like, outside of the park. Yeah. You know, it's while it is a Joshua Tree National Park campground, it's like – it doesn't it, – didn't feel like it was in the park. We had to like go in through a suburban neighborhood to get to the campground and then come back out and drive like 15 minutes to get to the park entrance. Exactly. But there was a water fill up there. Yeah. Which I think for anyone in a van or an RV, when you're in the desert, water fill ups are key. Yeah. Yeah. The but the campgrounds themselves are just gorgeous. The ones that are in the Very park. I mean, your manicured. your background are these gorgeous Joshua trees that truly do live up to the hype. So that'd be my recommendation. Um, and if you don't do that, then check out one of the cool Airbnbs. Yeah, and then last ditch effort. If both of those are not an option, then you can sleep on Crazy Joe's private property. <laughs> um, For at least two nights. Apparently, he gave us two nights before yelling at us. I wish he had just told us he was giving us a night so we could leisurely move the next morning. He was like, I let you do it the first night. I let you get away with it a second night. Now more people are showing up. I'm like, what do you mean you let us? I had no idea. Yeah. All these things happening (laughs) inside his head. He was was like venting to me for 15 minutes straight. And then you guys like waited till he was he left before you showed back up. You saw him like venting to me and talking to me. Oh, no. He... He stopped us, and as I'm trying to ask him questions, he goes, I'm going to go talk to the guy in the van. Drives <laughs> away from me mid-sentence. I'm, like, trying to tell him, that's my van. Don't You don't need to go talk to the guy. Because I thought, you know, I figured you were working or something. I didn't know what you were doing, but I figured you might be interrupted. And so then we turned around rapid fire and I tried to intercept him. Moment of peace him. and quiet. 
but we're in Alex's car, and Alex is terrified to get stuck again. So <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's, it's not a very it's not like we were in the, a doom buggy like this guy who's on a rage to come find you. So yeah, he beat us there, but we turned around right away, and I tried calling you five times time. before we did to to let you know he was coming. Well, I hadn't sat down yet. Usually, the phone would be in my hand after I sit down, but yeah. it's a lot of prep. Yeah. Well, getting into position. <laughs> Had he been two minutes later, it would have been the most uncomfortable, awkward. Imba- I wouldn't even tell that story <laughs> had he showed up two, three minutes later. So you know how much I did, hate that porta potty. It's a good thing he did drive away from me while I was trying to have a conversation with him. He was so rude. <laughs> yeah, well. But I guess it worked we out were, for the we best. We were on his land. We were on his dirt, his 100-acre plot of dirt with nothing on it. Yeah. I know what he's doing with it. What do you do with all that dirt? Hopefully it's rising in value. I don't know. Um, Well, with that, hopefully this was helpful. (laughs) If not, maybe a little entertaining. Um, And we are very excited to do more of these. Like I said, we've been to 11 national parks, so there's a lot more location-based episodes to come. And with that, let's go pick up our car. You're going to do an episode on each national park that we've been to? Uh, Some of them might be a two-in-one. Lumped together. But there's other places that aren't national parks that we've been to. I would do episodes on. Yeah. Goblin Valley. Yeah. Still to come. All right, kids. Thanks for uh, listening to the Keeping Wanderlust podcast from... (laughs) From Reseda Park next to to the Reseda Stones. (laughs) I thought it might have something to do with, like, Rosetta Stone when I first read it. I'm telling you, this is all about Satan worship. If you draw a circle around the outer ring of stones and then connect the dots through the stones that are inside. It creates a five pointed star inside of a circle. And we're sitting right in the middle. We're sitting right in the middle. I don't know. All the reviews said we would find Nirvana here. Have you found it? No. <laughs> no. Just some dogs. All right. Well, the next time we record, we should have a hitch on the back of our van, which hopefully is holding a bike rack. Bike rack, which hopefully has bicycles on the bike rack. <laughs> And actually stay on as we get on the highway. I can't wait for the silliness. I can't wait for the the lessons we learn the hard way once we have a bike ride. Again, guys, don't do research. Just listen to our show. Life's too short to learn everything the hard way. Let us do it for you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye.